Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 20. It's uh, my great honor to be with you. Uh, We have been uh, at my church in Providence, uh, in Frisco, Texas. We've been uh, preaching through the book of Acts. Uh, We're down to the last two verses. Uh, We started this series back in September of 2013. And so uh, as I was praying about what message uh, God would have me to bring for you, immediately Acts 20 kind of rose to the top. It truly is a manual for, for all pastors uh, and for all elders. Um, so in Acts 20, the leaders of the church are called elders, they're called pastors, they're called overseers. Uh, those words are synonymous. And so we learn in this chapter a lot about the heart, the example, the life, the mission uh, of a pastor. And I think the key verse, um, I'm going to really focus on Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders, but the key verse is in verse 28 where Paul says, everyone just go there real quick, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I want to start there before we read uh, the the whole speech, because I think we learn some things about the church that all of us... uh, future pastors, or even in the church, look into your pastor, we, we have to remember these things. Number one is that the church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to us. It's not my church. It's the church of God. And so it's not up to me to uh, you know, hold it together. I'm dispensable. Jesus says, I will build my church. The second thing I see in that verse is that the church is precious to God. He obtained it with his own blood. And what is dear to God must be dear to us. The third thing I see is that pastors are entrusted with the care of the church. It's not because I somehow earned it because of my ability or my wit. No, this is something that's been entrusted to me and I must be faithfully stewarding it. And the church and being led by faithful elders, pastors, is God's strategy for shepherding His people. You just look throughout all the Bible. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. God was seen as the shepherd and the people were the sheep of his pasture. Ezekiel 34, uh, God blasts the leaders of Israel for not shepherding the flock and really serving themselves. And so he says, I will come after my sheep and gather them in and I will shepherd my own people, which is a foreshadowing to Jesus, who in John 10, of course, says, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. I'm not like the hired hand who flees as soon as the wolves come. And Jesus primarily shepherded 12 men. And of those 12, three, Peter, James, and John, he poured into, teaching them that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Teaching them how to love and lay their life down as leaders. And then, of course, in John 21, when Jesus restores Peter three times, he says to him, tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And then, of course, that same Peter in 1 Peter 5 writes to his fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And don't do it domineering, but do it as an example. 
So as you walk through the scope of all the Scripture, you see God has ordained men, shepherds, elders to lead His church, to be His under-shepherd with their eyes set on the chief shepherd to be faithful in shepherding the flock. This is God's strategy. The church led by faithful elders. And so I think this is a very important speech that we're going to look at that where Paul addresses them. And I want you to see a couple of interesting things. Here's Paul at the end of his third missionary journey. He's collected this offering from the Greek churches to take back to the church in Jerusalem. And on his way, he's stopping at the churches that he's established to encourage them. You would think for sure he would stop in Ephesus. And that's the place where he spent three years of his ministry. But we read something very interesting. If you read with me uh, in verse, the end of verse 15, it says, uh, After that we went to Miletus. And look at verse 16. For Paul had, had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So I think it's very interesting that Paul is in a hurry to get to Jerusalem by by the day of Pentecost, and so he doesn't have time to spend in Ephesus. He's going to get swamped. He spent three years there. But I think it's interesting that he sails past it, And he calls for the elders to come. It would take three days to go to Ephesus and back to Miletus. Now, why does he do this? Again, because he's in a hurry, but I think it teaches us something. It underscores for us how Paul saw eldership. He thought that as long as I hit the elders, I'm going to hit the church. So Paul really understood the importance of elders. And so that ought to tell us something, that as the elders go, so does the church go. Why? Because Hebrews 13:7 says, Remember your leaders, those who speak to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so, really, this message is not just for elders and pastors or future elders and pastors. It's also for all Christians, because we are to emulate our elders. And so, he knows he'll hit the, hit the whole church if he can really get the elders. And so, let's read what he lays out for them. We're going to read the speech, and then we're going to hit three key things. So in verse 18, he says to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore... 
be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown to you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And so, by the way, that last verse again highlights the importance of the speech. Not only is he saying, man, I'm going to hit the elders, therefore I'm going to hit the whole church, but it's kind of like a last speech ever that he's going to give to them. And so I think what I want to do, there's so much here, I'm not going to be able to hit it at all, obviously. What I want to do with you is encourage you and remind you, especially those of you who are going into pastoral ministry, what we are called as elders to be and to do. Uh, the thing I want to do is to really see this entire speech, and I want to hit just three things from it. And I'm going to use that passage I read earlier, Hebrews 13:7, to be kind of our guide, to be the lens by which we can glean from this speech. In Hebrews 13:7, again, it said, "Remember your leaders, those who those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Number two, and imitate their faith." So what I want to do today is by looking at the speech, I want you to see the words of an elder. I want you to see the life or the example of an elder. And then thirdly, I want you to see the faith of an elder. And I want you to remember that our people are going to be looking to us to imitate us. And so first, I want us to see the words of an elder. And what is the content of our message? He's already said here that he is preaching the gospel of grace And look at verse 21. He says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You're in seminary, so I don't want to hit this too long. I'm I'm hoping you're on board with this. But that needs to be our message. Our message needs to be a message that leads people to respond with repentance and faith. Because the gospel uh, really reveals to us our sin and our Savior, doesn't it? And so the gospel reveals to me that I'm a sinner, and so it calls for me to repent. Repentance is, again, having a change of mind and not trying to dress up my sin, but call it for what it is. I love the visual of the, in the book of Jonah when the king of Nineveh hears the word of the Lord, and when he repents, the Bible says he took off his robe, he got off of his throne, and he uh, put sackcloth on, and he sat in ashes. Now, the poor beggars would wear sackcloth, and so the people of God, when they would fast in those days, they would wear sackcloth as if to say to God, I'm going to wear on the outside clothing that reflects my inner poverty. I'm not going to dress up my sin. I'm going to call it for what it is. I've sinned against you. Repentance, but not just repentance, not just knowing and confessing that we're sinners, but then turning to the right Direction, turning to God. It says repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And you know this, so many people miss this. And I remember watching uh, the Jimmy Kimmel show of all shows. I was watching it after that whole series that everyone watched, Lost, was over. Remember that show? I'm not going to give it away if you're watching it still on DVD or whatever. But at the very end, Jimmy Kimmel had the entire show of uh, the cast of Lost on his show. And he looked 
at the main character and he said, I kind of think it's like what most religions teach, Christianity being the foremost. And so I perk up, where's he going with this? And he goes, that if you're good in this world, you're going to go to heaven. And if you're bad in this world, you're going to go to hell. And everyone just kind of nodded their head and moved on. I'm like, what? And that's what people think the message of Christianity is. Jesus died on the cross. Therefore, if you're good in this world, you're going to go to heaven. If you're bad in this world, you're going to go to hell. That's not the message. The message is what Paul said. I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law. That's no righteousness but a righteousness that depends on God, a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, to be found and clothed in Him. That is our message. His audience is both Jews and Greeks. He showed no partiality. To the Jew I became as a Jew, to the Greek I became as a Greek. But really what I want to highlight to you is the scope of our words. Look what he says in verse 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so a faithful elder is one who preaches the whole counsel of God's Word. I think it's interesting that he references Ezekiel 33 with the watchman who is on the wall of the city who's to blow the trumpet when he sees the sword coming. And Ezekiel 33 says, If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are warned, and the sword comes and takes away any of them, any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And that ought to give you a holy fear as an elder and a pastor, that I am going to be held responsible for the words that I preach. That I, uh, He says, I'm innocent of the blood of you all, for I preach the whole counsel of God. It's a huge warning for us. If we don't clearly teach, again, salvation by grace through faith, and we somehow allow people to slip into a workspace righteousness where they just have a shell of righteousness, but they don't have the Holy Spirit, kind of like those bridesmaids that, that had the lamps but didn't really have the oil. Or how about if we preach a gospel that's, that, 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 that somehow teaches if you follow Jesus, right, things will go well for you. Or, man, you'll never, if you believe enough, you won't get sick or you'll have material blessing. Trust me, that's all around me even in Dallas. And what happens when those people face hardship? They, they bail on God. You know, I always say, can you, here's a litmus test. Can you take the gospel you're preaching and go to my friend Farshid, who has spent four years in prison in Iran, and he's got three more years left. Can you preach your gospel to him? And he would nod his head and say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because he's not on board with a gospel that says, hey, if you follow Jesus, man, things will go well and you'll get material blessing and all this stuff. He's, he's going to say, what are you talking about? And any good student of God's word would not be on board with that gospel. And so there is a warning for us to teach. That's why at Providence we preach verse by verse. It holds us accountable to teach all of Scripture and not to drift towards just what people want to hear. You know, Paul told Timothy that in in the later times there will be some who will want to put up teachers that will just, again, scratch their itching ears, what they want to hear. An elder is able to give instruction in sound doctrine, Titus 1.9 says, and rebuke those who contradict it. And what's the sort of, source of sound doctrine? All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine. The totality of it, not just parts of it. And so, uh, in an era, listen, 
He says in verse 32, I commend you to the Word of God in an era of celebrity pastors. Listen, a faithful elder is one who his goal is not to make his people dependent on him, but to make his people dependent on God and his word. That's my goal. I want to preach the word of God at my church and hold it up so high that my people will be like the Bereans who will never take my word for it. But whatever I preach, they're going to go to the word of God and make sure it lines up. And so... Scope goes with my next thing, my last thing I want to say about the words, and it's the goal. Look at the goal of our message, of our words. What's the aim of our teaching? Look at verse 20. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching to you in public and from house to house. So the goal is this what is profitable? So you take verse 20 and verse 27, where in both he says, I didn't shrink back. You see, what he's saying is we're to preach the whole counsel of God's Word, and that preaching the whole counsel of God's Word is what is profitable. And so we're not to shrink back. And so I ask you this. If, if we know we're to preach the whole counsel of God's Word, and we know that it is profitable to those that we preach to, why would an elder shrink back from doing that? Here's the answer. Verse 29 and 30. Look at it. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So listen to me. We, the, the false teachers, those who shrink back, are those who are more interested in gaining a following. They're interested in drawing a crowd. They're interested in being the show. So they're going to say whatever needs to be said to gain a crowd, not what is profitable for the sheep. They're not truly interested in the sheep, but they're interested in themselves. And so, since there will be times in the church that people will not tolerate sound doctrine, and it's clear that there's going to be times where it's going to be easier for the pastor to avoid conflict or avoid loss of numbers by not preaching sound doctrine or not teaching the whole counsel of God's Word. This is why Paul urges Timothy to fulfill his calling as a shepherd by enduring hardship and by teaching and rebuking with all patience. It's important for pastors to be men who seek the approval of God over man, as Galatians 1.10 says. Jesus is our primary example of this. In John 6, he's preaching hard truth, right? And what happens? People drift off. And what does he do? He looks at his closest disciples and he says, Are you going to go away too? And what do they say? Peter says, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So hear me. It's, it's clear to me that Jesus, when he was preaching, was not interested in the quantity of his disciples, but he was interested in the quality of his disciples. Are you going to go away too? And so we too must be a people that do not shy back. Many times I have people come to my office or email me and they want to take some parts of God's Word and leave the others off the shelf to submit their life to. But I feel compelled to point them back to the whole counsel of God's Word. I believe that all of this uh, book needs to be submitted to. You make known to me, Psalm 16 says, the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I really believe that. 
And we live in a culture more and more where it's going to be difficult for pastors to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. Just in my state, in Houston, you saw what happened where these pastors' sermons were subpoenaed to make sure they're not saying anything that goes against what the social norms of our day is as regards to sexuality and gender identity, right? And so it's going to become more and more difficult. And again, we need men who are committed to preaching the whole counsel of God's Word. Number two... I want you to see the example of an elder. Not just the words of an elder, but an example. In verse 18, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. And so, what does Paul do? He starts with this message by saying, Hey, remember my life. Look at my example. And so you know this to be true. It's not just the words of a pastor, but even more so the life of a pastor, the example of a pastor. And Paul wants them to know that they must first keep watch over themselves. So he says to them in verse 28, pay attention to yourselves and to the flock. It's kind of like the airplane. When you sit in an airplane and they tell you about the oxygen mask, right? When it comes down, what do they say? First put it on yourself before you take care of your child. Because you will not be able to take care of your child if you are passing out. And so what is he saying? He's saying, pastors, you cannot shepherd the flock if your own life is a wreck. I love how Robert Murray McShane says it. The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's what a pastor does. He's to imitate and follow Christ so closely that if anyone were to follow him, he or she would essentially be following Jesus. i never forget, I went to speak in Florida once and they picked me up and they were driving me to this conference and I saw a van drive by me. This is the way my mind works. In the back of the van there was an advertisement that said, follow me to Dave's Pizza. And you know what I thought? That van better always be going to Dave's Pizza. I mean, if I swing in behind him and I follow him and he pulls off at Starbucks or something, I'm like, hey, dude, where's Dave? Where's his pizza? Right? And so especially if you're a pastor, you have to know you have a huge sign on the back of your life that says, follow me to Jesus. And if I, my life doesn't end up at Jesus, then man, I get out of the pastorate. You're leading people astray. And men and women, let me tell you where you're going to be the greatest example. And you're not going to like to hear this. Worthy to follow. The greatest example that you're going to have is when trials come and you follow Him. Not when things are going well. Look what He says. He says, look at my life, how I served with humility and tears with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And so listen to me, one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 4.19, that says this, Let those who suffer according to the will of God continue doing good as to a faithful Creator. When the trials come and we keep following God, that's when you're the greatest example because you're telling the world that I believe even in the midst of this trial, God is faithful. He's faithful. In my life, I went through one of the darkest times in my life where... 
Uh, I lost my girlfriend, who, by the way, is now my wife, so things worked out well there. But I lost my girlfriend, and I went through a really dark season of my life, my ministry. Nobody was asking me to speak anymore. I had some really demons in my life that I had to really fight and, and confess some sin. And uh, I could tell you a lot about that. But long story short, it really spun me out into like two weeks of really having panic attacks and anxiety attacks in the middle of the night. The only way I made it through that time was just to cling to God's Word and say, God, I don't know why all this is happening. I lost the girl. I don't know why I'm confessing my sin. I don't know what's going on, but I just believe you got a purpose in this. And I read the Psalms. I just clung to God's Word. Two years after that, my brother, who's not a Christian, living in Los Angeles, calls me out of the blue. He's got a job that's crumbling. He has an autistic child, has a lot of pressures in his life. And he calls me out of the blue and he goes, hey, bro, Last night I had a panic attack, full on. It freaked me out. He goes, man, I remember you used to have them. And somehow you got through it. Can you tell me how you got through it? And I'm like, um, hold on one second. I was with a bunch of my students. I go, y'all, y'all pray for me real quick. Uh, I, I, I said, let me call you back. So I finished lunch, had them pray, called my sister who's a Christian, told her to pray. And she's like, hey, tell them about Jesus. I'm like, well, duh. You know, so anyway, so I call. But honestly, honestly, it, it shows some of my lack of faith because I was kind of like, I always tell them about Jesus. What's this time going to mean? And I felt like God was humbling me. I go, Lord, forgive me. What would you have me share with him? And the Lord gave me four verses on the spot. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, I'll give you uh, rest for your soul. The, 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 the verse where he goes on the deck of the boat and he calms the storm, and the verse where he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for today has its own troubles. Consider the lilies of the field. Remember that? Good. Those four verses God gives me on the spot. I call my brother. And I go, what happened? He goes, well, I had a panic attack. I go, bro, until you get your heart right with God, you will never have peace in your soul. And he goes, I don't know, whatever, dude. I go, well, hey, listen, God gave me four verses to share with you. Can I share them with you? And he goes, sure. I shared them with him, and he crumbles. And he goes, man, I need Jesus. What do I need to do? Now, I'm an evangelist, so like, what do I need to do is like your dream question. But for a second, I was like shocked that he was saying it. So I was like, I don't know, what happens next? You know, so then I go, I go, bro, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I didn't even have to say, hey, okay, you ready to do that? Right there on the spot, my brother says, Jesus, I call on you, save me. And man, I got to lead my brother to Christ. And not only is that amazing, but look at me now, everyone look at me. God took the darkest time in my life and he redeemed it and he used it for good. So I'm telling you, he was watching me. You become the greatest example in your trials and you keep following God. And so the example of an elder and then the last thing I want to leave with you is the faith of an elder. Scripture testifies that the righteous shall live by faith and not by sight. I want you to see that Paul had an inspired perspective, a limited perspective, and an eternal perspective. Look at verse 22 really quickly with me. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want you to see he's got an inspired perspective. What I mean by this is he lives his life being constrained by the Holy Spirit. 
what God has revealed to him. He's saying, look, I know that I must go to Jerusalem. It's amazing. All of Acts, you've got this drumbeat of Paul going to Jerusalem and then going to Rome. It's kind of, it really mirrors the Jesus going to Jerusalem, saying in Matthew 16, 21 to his disciples that I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and die and be raised the third day. I know I must go there. And I ask you, men and women, are you constrained by the Spirit to do the will of God? Are you saying, God, whatever you have for me and not what man has for me? Remember when Jesus said that, remember what Peter said, no, 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 this shall never happen to you. Remember in Peter's mind, no, 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 the Messiah is not going to suffer, die, and rise again. The Messiah is supposed to be an earthly military ruler to drive out Rome, right? Set up an earthly kingdom. He didn't, that's not the way the plan is supposed to go, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And some of us, we're going to be so much more interested in our plans, in the things of man. But the faithful elder is one that says, I'm constrained by the Spirit. Whatever you have to me, for me, God, I will follow you. My dream was to be a doctor and make my dad proud of me. My dad had disowned me for being a Christian. And then he took me back in only on a provisional basis as long as I'd be a doctor and make him proud. And I fought God on this. My older sister who became a Christian wrote me a letter and called me out on the carpet. And she said, Afshin, you're running from God's will. And she said, Afshin, a Christian out of God's will is like a fish out of water. He will struggle until he's put back in the water. And I was struggling. She quoted 1 John 2.17, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Are you constrained to do his will? Jesus is your greatest example. Again, remember in the garden, he said, Father, if this cup may pass, what did he say? But not my will, your will be done. And we all have life today because Jesus was constrained to do the will of the Father and not what his, his, his human flesh wanted. And so do you have that kind of inspired perspective? Do you have a limited perspective and are you content in the lack of knowledge? He said, I don't know what will happen to me there. I do know hardships coming, but that's where I am to go. And this is the way God works, men and women. He gives us a limited perspective. He sent, Jesus did, the 72 by 2, and he told them, don't take a money bag, don't take a knapsack, you just go and trust that I'm going to provide for you. He did this with Abraham. He said, go to a land that I will show you. And the Bible says he went out not knowing where he was going. And so it was for me. When I finally told my father I'm going into ministry and not going into medicine, he called it the biggest stain on his life. I said, Dad, you know how much I love you, how much I want you to be proud of me? And he said, Son, not only will I never be proud of you, but I'll always be ashamed of you as long as I live. The hardest words for a man to hear from his father. And I went to the Metroplex with $4 in my pocket. Didn't have a job, only had my first semester's tuition paid for by my church to go to seminary at Southwestern. The other way, my dad was going to pay for my entire medical school and I was going to take over his practice and be set for life. Four dollars, limited perspective. God, I have no idea, but I'm going. And guys, God has been faithful every step of the way. Opened up a, a door of ministry for me at a church there. And then I started preaching around Texas, around the nation. And then God started giving me this international ministry. And then the next thing you know, this ministry uh, uh, that reaches into Iran found out about me. And now I get to go, as, as well as pastoring a church, I get to go once a year to train in my native language of Farsi, men and women, who go back into Iran and plant underground churches. 
And I say to you today, I could be a doctor and have my dad proud of me. But I would have missed the life Christ had for me. I had a limited perspective, but I said, I'm, I'm following you. And then, man, you've got to have an eternal one. He says, I do not value. Look at this. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Oh, that we would be pastors who would say, my life is not even the thing that I hold valuable. What I hold valuable is finishing the course that God has given me to live. Finishing the course. It's amazing to me. So many people, when they have a temporal perspective, all they think about is seeking to save their life at all costs. Because this world is all that there is, if they have that kind of perspective. Bible says in Philippians 3, Paul says that there are some who actually live as enemies of the cross with their mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So a faithful elder who is one who knows, man, this is temporary. I've got an eternal perspective. When I go to the Middle East to train pastors every once in a while, I have people come up to me and say, Afshin, aren't you scared? Don't you know what might happen if you go and the wrong people find you? And I'm like, yeah, that could happen. But if I stay here and get in a car, I could die also, right? But it's amazing to me because what they're saying, listen, the goal of life is not to extend my days. The goal of life is to spend my days doing the will of God. It's not to extend it. It's not comfort and safety. It's God, whatever you have for me. You see, I think we pastors, we should be almost like the terrorist mentality. Let me explain what I mean by that. Don't, I know I'm Iranian. You're freaking out. Hold on. <laughs> Let me tell you what I mean. You know, you know when those terrorists leave their, I haven't been there, but you know, their camps, wherever they are, and they go to the West and, um, and they, you know, they, they get into the West into sleeper cells. I've seen on Al Jazeera Network, of course, they kind of blurry it out sometimes. They actually have videos. You know this? They actually make videos before they leave and they go to the West. And in their videos, they, they talk about what they want done with their belongings, what they, how they want their funeral to go. It's kind of like their last will. They want, they, so listen to me. When they leave those terrorist camps and they come to the West, they're already dead. They already reckon themselves dead. And we know that someone who already sees himself as dead is very dangerous. He will throw his life down to kill anyone for his cause. Well, listen to me. Except for that last part, we're not to kill other people. That first part is actually very biblical. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives through me. Paul says, man, I'm already dead. And we know a person who reckons himself already dead to this world is dangerous in the hands of God. God can do some great things with that kind of man who has an eternal perspective. Um, I don't know if I have three minutes, do I? Okay. <laughs> if I can share with this one last story and I'll be done. I'll share a story that just really rocked my um, wife and I a few years ago and then we'll be done. I'll pray. 
It's a story of a young man who had this kind of eternal perspective. And I think we as pastors can learn from a 15-year-old. What do you think? Look up here really quickly. This young man, his name is B.J. Higgins. If you look it up here, this is his book written about his life called I Would Die For You. Let me share a story real quickly and we'll pray. This young man became a Christian at the age of eight at a youth conference. He wasn't in the youth. His dad was a pastor and brought him to the youth meeting. He became a Christian, became so passionate about this eternal perspective that he wanted his life now to count for eternity. He wanted others to know Jesus. That's what he wanted his life. He wanted his life to matter. And so at the age of 9 and 10, he's sharing his faith with his uh, classmates on the school bus. The age of 13, 14, he's sharing his faith online. His parents would come and say, BJ, get to bed. And, his, and he'd say, Mom, Dad, I'm sharing my faith. And they're like, what do we do with that, you know? <laughs> Never had that kind of problem. But listen, I don't want to put this kid on a pedestal. I just want you to see one kid who got it, who had this kind of eternal perspective. Well, guess what? He felt called to the mission field, and he told his older sister, we're going to go to Morocco together. I just know it. Before he went to Morocco, B.J. Higgins went to Peru on a mission trip, and he contracted a rare disease there. And after a six-month battle with that disease, he passed away and went to be with the Lord. And this book is written by his parents, taking the writings of a young teenager. And you'd be shocked. I, I wish I could read some of it to you. Where he says, we've got to get out of our comfort zones and out of our cliques and go out and share the rescuing message of Jesus Christ with a lost and empty and dying world all around us. Well, man, I heard about this kid's story, but I was in the Middle East training pastors when my wife bought this book. And I came home, and she hands me the book, and she goes, you're not going to believe this. Turn to page 32. So I turn to page 32 and just listen to this real quickly. It says... When BJ was in elementary school, he had just heard Afshin Ziafat speak and he accepted Christ. So I was the guy who preached when he became a Christian. And sometimes I never get to see the result. Now stay with me. In case you think I'm boasting by sharing this story, first of all, you can't boast for salvation because it belongs to God. But second of all, in case you still think I'm boasting, you ready for this? I did some research on this. It was my first speaking engagement ever. So you know my message was horrible. Like Jesus loves you. Amen. All right. So I'm just trying to tell you, look what God could do through you and listen to this. His parents found us online. They emailed me. They go, you led our son to Christ. I'm like, I know, I got the book. And they go, well, we live in Tulsa. I said, I'm going to be in Tulsa next week. So we went to dinner. And listen to me. I started bawling at dinner because you might say, why would God take a 15-year-old? who's passionately sharing his faith. Remember, he wanted his life to count for eternity. Ready for this? After his funeral, they took his ashes with the older sister, and they went to Morocco. And they went on a hill overlooking a Muslim village, and they spread out his ashes, and they prayed for that Muslim village. They came back home, thought nothing more of it. Later they found out that the Muslim guide that took him to the top of that hill was so impacted by BJ's story that he gave his life to Christ. And listen to this, that same man today is the pastor of the underground church in that Muslim village in Morocco. So BJ's life, literally through his death, is impacting North Africa today. So men, women, we've got to be people who preach the whole counsel of God's word. People who are, are, are saying, man, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And people that live this kind of faith out, God, whatever your will, even if I can't see it all, I want my life to count for eternity. Would you bow your head with me and let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. Jesus, we thank you that 
You say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. May we be men and women, just as you laid your life down to bear fruit of life for us, may we be men and women who are constrained to do your will. Be willing to lose father, position, our own plan. Not just to extend our days, but to spend every day finishing the course of the ministry you've given us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.